Welcome to the WGN Radio Theater Program 473 in the series. It's June 13th, 2020. To my right is Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. So glad to be here. Yeah, well, it's another eight classic radio shows. We'll be here till three o'clock in the morning. We have eight radio shows for you, including Mr. and Mrs. North, the Jack Benny program, Big Town, Suspense, starring Judy Garland, The Great Gildersleeve, Frontier Gentleman, The Chase, and Fibber McGee and Molly. What a lineup, huh, Lisa? Well, you know, I know how to pick them. That's, uh, that's right. And you know what? What? If you have fine jewelry, and I'm talking about jewelry that you don't wear anymore. Maybe it's in your safety deposit box. Maybe it's a Rolex or maybe it's some kind of really nice jewelry that you inherited and you don't wear it. Well, guess what? You could now turn it in to cold hard cash by calling my friend Matt Burdine at Burdine Jewelers. Now, the number to call 800 875-4418, or you can go to his website. That's Burdines, B-U-R-D-E-E-N-S.com. Make sure you mention this radio offer when you talk to Matt, and you will get a free appraisal on your fine jewelry. Now, I know that you revitalized some of your jewelry. I sold Matt some of my jewelry that I didn't wear anymore. Got some cold, hard cash. I like cash. And he also has some beautiful fine jewelry for sale if you're in the market for that. And it is absolutely oh my gosh. gorgeous. His jewelry there at his website and at his store. Amazing. Go to Burdines, B-U-R-D-E-E-N-S dot com or call him 800-875-4418. Tell him Carl sent you. Make sure you get a free appraisal on your fine jewelry. Turn it into cash. All right. When we come back from the break, it's Mr. and Mrs. North. Stick around. Hour one of the WGN Radio Theater. Lisa and I are here every Saturday night, 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. Our executive producer, the great Mike Costella. And we are going to tune in now to Mr. and Mrs. North, a great detective series created by Francis and Richard Lockridge. Now, the Norths weren't professional detectives. They were just a well-to-do New York couple who stumbled across a murder or two every week and felt compelled to solve the crime. You know, that happens right. all the time. Don't I you mean, feel right? like that? Yeah, everywhere I go, I go to play a baseball game, I stumble across a you know a dead body i have to solve the crime well i hope that you do solve it then <laughs> came to radio 1942 and it was a top ratings earner 20 million people were tuning in each and every week to hear mr and mrs north joseph Curtin and alice frost originally played the roles later richard denning and barbara Britton played the roles it made a transition to television and it was the inspiration for the very popular tv series heart to heart starring Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers. We have a broadcast for you now from December 9th, 1947. It's titled, Call Me Choo Choo. Here's Alice Frost and Joseph Curtin as Mr. and Mrs. North. Colgate Palmolive Pete Company, makers of Halo Shampoo to glorify your hair, and Colgate Tooth Powder to get teeth sparkling and super clean, bring you Mr. and Mrs. North, starring Joseph Curtin and Alice Frost.
In all respects, Pam and Jerry North's car is an excellent car with only one defect. It always picks the long way home. That's especially the trouble tonight when Pam and Jerry are coming from a weekend in the country and the car seems to have chosen the longest, darkest, and most deserted road. Pam, I'll have to take ten minutes shut-eye, darling, before we can go on. I'm getting dangerously sleepy. Well, let's do it then, Jerry. This is no place to have a smash-up. Yeah, just lie back in the seat, dear. All right. Oh. oh. I can just feel myself drifting right off to sleep, can't you? Jerry. That's right. Go to sleep right while I'm talking. For all you know, I might have had something very interesting to say. I didn't, but I might have. <sighs> Jerry. What? Listen. Somebody's playing a musical instrument. Away out in the country. He's good, too. Where's it coming from? I don't see any houses. I wonder... Look, there, by the side of the road. A man playing a clarinet and coming toward us. He's seen us. Hey, come with me. Come with me huh? this way. Why, what's the matter? Just behind those trees. Come and see. What's there? A tree got in the way of my car. Oh, an accident. Anybody hurt? A girl. And a tree killed her. She's oh. dead. Please come and help me. Huh? Right away. Where's your car? Over here, behind these trees. See? Holy... You really smashed up. The girl's in the seat. Help me, will you? Jerry, you look and see. Right. Say, there's no girl in your car, alive or dead. What? Well, she was here a minute ago. Uh, are you sure? Could you kill a girl and not know it? we better look around for her, hadn't we? Jerry, our car's starting up. Hey, stop! Stop! That's the girl who took the car. But you said she was dead. That's right, she was dead. She isn't now. Stop! Come back! That's our car! Which way did she go? Well, that way, didn't you see... Jerry, here's a brand new man. What? Oh. Who are you? Where'd you pop from? I've been right here with you all the time. I didn't see you. Oh, but I... I guess it's so dark. Sure. That's why you didn't see him. It's so dark. Lady, you said the girl drove your car toward New York? But you were right here, too, you said. You must have seen the car go. Only he didn't, lady. It's so dark. Let's not argue about it. If she drove toward New York, I know exactly where she's going. Get in. Get in what? My car. It's right here. Come on. I didn't see any other car here. Of course you didn't. It's so dark. My car's been here right along. What's the matter with you anyway? Now, all of you, get in and we'll go to town. Here we are. Made it fast, didn't we? If you ask me, we made it in no time. Oh, it's too dark here. I'm going inside where it's dark. What place is this? It's a pretty gloomy-looking house. This is where the girl came. It's where we all live. So long. So long? What about our car? And the girl who was dead but isn't. What dead girl? What are you talking about? The girl in your car in the wreck. Oh, only she wasn't there, and, and, and then she stole our car. Lady, you're all mixed up. Sure, it's so dark. Well... So long. Me too, so long. Wait. If you're going inside and you think the girl's in there, we're going in too. Oh, no, you're not. Murder goes on in that house and you're not allowed. But, but the girl's got our car in there. Nothing doing. It's dark in that house and if you go in, you'll get killed. So long. He's gone. I never saw people move so fast. 
Jerry, we've got to find out what happened to our car. The only way we can do that is to get into that house. You sound like that clarinet player. This is the darkest cellar I've ever been in. I don't think it's a cellar, dear. It's a corridor. I can touch both walls at once. Oh. Do you hear anything? No. We'll have to get upstairs. Here's the door. Can you open it? I can't find the handle. Oh, here it is. Stick right behind me, Pam. I'm so close behind you. I'm practically in front of you. Here it goes. It's heavy. There. It's a jam session. These many musicians getting together and playing just for themselves. There's the man who drove us in. He's playing the trumpet. And next to him, that clarinet player. Oh. <laughs> there's no air in here. And it's hot. Jerry, there's the girl. And she's singing. Yes, her mouth's open, but the orchestra's so loud I can't hear her. Can you? No. Oh! Jerry, look at the walls. They're closing in on us. The room is getting smaller and smaller. But look behind the musicians. There's no wall at all. Only black space. We've got to get out of here. Oh, no. You can't get out now. Oh, the clarinet player. But uh, how can you be talking to us here? Your, your clarinet's still playing. My clarinet plays by itself. Huh? <laughs> I told you not to come in here, didn't I? Now you're going to die. Jerry. You're going to die by the knife in my hand. Jerry, where are you? Help me. He's gone. Now listen to that trumpet. Listen to him climb. Okay, boys? One, two. When he hits high C, the knife goes right into you. Oh, no. Jerry! Jerry, where are you? Listen to the trumpet. G sharp. A. B flat. And look at this knife. And here comes high C. Jerry! Pam! Pam, darling, what's the matter? I'm right here, sweetheart. Wake up. Wait, wake up. Oh, oh, I was asleep. Sure. Oh, darling, what a horrible dream. It must have been. You were waving your arms oh. and kicking your legs. But you're safe in the car and we can start driving home again. Oh. <laughs> you know, darling... It all started when I dreamed I heard a clarinet playing. And then I saw... Him... Jerry, am I awake? We both are. And I hear it too. Somebody's playing a clarinet somewhere near us on the road. Yes, Pam and Jerry are awake now, but it's still pretty dreamlike to hear a clarinet in the country on a dark, dark road. Hello, everybody, hello. Hello is the shampoo that glorifies your hair, so hello, everybody, hello. Use Halo shampoo if you want naturally bright and beautiful hair. Remember, even finest soaps and soap shampoos hide the natural luster of your hair with dulling soap film. But Halo contains no soap, therefore cannot leave dulling soap film. 
The first time you use Halo, your hair glistens in all its natural brilliance. The natural color and luster shine through like sunshine through a clean window pane. And remember, even in hardest water, Halo makes oceans of rich, fragrant lather. Halo quickly carries away loose dandruff and grease, needs no lemon or vinegar rinse, because Halo leaves no dulling soap film, nothing to hide your hair's natural beauty. Say hello to Halo and goodbye to dulling soap film. Use Halo on your children's hair, too. Get Halo shampoo at any cosmetic counter. Remember, Halo glorifies your hair. So Halo, everybody, Halo. Halo shampoo, Halo. Now, back to Mr. and Mrs. North. Jerry. We've got to see what it is. I know what it is, Dolly. A clarinet being played on a dark road on a dark night. The point is, why? It's coming from behind those trees. We'll see in a minute. Now it's going away, Jerry. Yeah. Maybe drawing us after it like, like the Pied Piper of Hamlin. I'm right. Look at that car against the tree. It's pretty badly smashed. Someone may be hurt. Maybe it's a girl. Oh, she isn't there now. What makes you say that? That's the way it was in my dream. Is there? Yes, there's a girl. She's there? Oh, but she's not dead, is she? She's alive, ma'am. Oh, somehow I knew she would be. Loopy, you got to take me back. You've got to, Loopy, or I'll... Oh, who are you? We found you here in the wrecked car, miss. Are you badly hurt? No, I just hit my head, I guess. Here, let me help you out. Thanks. Where's Loopy? The man who was playing the clarinet. Uh, we heard him, but we haven't seen him. Good. You got a car? Could you take me back into the city with you? We'll be glad to. And you ought to see a doctor. How'd the crash happen? Loopy tried to get me to run away with him, and when I caught on, he wouldn't turn back. I crashed the car on purpose. Loopy's the greatest hot clarinet in this world or out of it. Uh, I'm on a Tremont. I guess we ought to know who you are, but... but... I'm a hot singer. They call me the scat girl. I guess you don't get around. Uh, no. But uh, shouldn't we try to find Loopy? I don't want to find him. I don't want to get back to the city. Hey, wait a second. Here's another car. Teddy. Teddy, darling. Morning, baby. You okay? Teddy, I'm so glad you got here. Now you can take me back into town. You bet, honey. And I want to get my hands on Loopy. Uh, Loopy doesn't seem to be around here anymore. Excuse me, folks. This is Eddie Rayburn, a hot trumpet if there ever was one. We're Mr. and Mrs. North. Hi. And as you're in good hands, Mr. Mont, we'll be getting back to our car. Wait a minute. What? Eddie. Huh? Something's been stolen from my handbag. You know what it is? You bet. And so do you. Oh, maybe that was uh, Loopy's doing. That guy must be around here someplace. Jerry, our car's starting. Hey, wait! That's Loopy taking Got a gun, Mr. No. Look out! How do you like that? Oh, Eddie, you know where he's going, don't you? Yeah. But how do you know I know? I wish I didn't. Won't you take us with you in your car? Okay, hop in. Okay, cats. There's your crate parked just ahead. I never expected that... Jerry, we've got the car back. I hope it's all in one piece. Anyway, thanks very much for the lift, Eddie. And Mona, I hope you're okay. Hmm, I will be. 
So long, folks, and thanks. Oh, just a minute. I want to see that Loopy McGee and give him a piece of my mind for stealing our car. Now, look, Mrs. North, you're not going to see Loopy. I'm giving a private party. And you're not coming into that building with us or you'll get hurt. Permanently. Oh. Now, take your car and get going. So long. Nice people. We better go, Pam. It's late and there's our car. Jerry, I, I'm remembering that awful dream and it... It's all coming true, that this strange building. This is where Eddie brought us before. Darling, forget it. Dreams never come true. I know, but something tells me we're not going to leave here. No? Just watch us. Get in here. I'll get in the other side. Jerry, look at this here on the seat. Never mind, dear. Never mind. Get in. Jerry, it's a wanted circular for an escaped convict. Huh? Wanted, Eddie Malden, escaped six weeks ago from state penitentiary while serving three-year term for armed robbery. Dangerous. Former occupation, trumpet player. Look at the picture. That's Eddie, yeah. the man who drove us into town, the man who just took the girl into that building. And this must be the thing Malden missed from a handbag. Loopy stole it from her. And they were both scared because Loopy found out he's a fugitive. That's right, Mr. North. Oh. Now I'll take it from you. Oh. Uh, Eddie, well, we, we thought you were inside. Give me that thing. Here you are. Well... So long, Eddie. Hold it. Now that you know who I am, you think I'm going to let you run off and call the police? Not a chance. Come on inside. Oh, dear. What are you going to do with us? Keep you locked up in the cellar while I finish some unfinished business? in my dream. I wonder where that door is. Oh, I remember now. We just turned a corner and there... Wait a minute. Oh! Don't move. Who's that? I don't know. Just a man I bumped into in the dark. Won't be dark long. There's a light right here. There. Oh, there's two of you characters. Just what do you got in mind sneaking around here? Talk fast or you'll get in trouble. Let's begin by finding out who you are. Flash Farrell, Mona Tremont's manager and future husband. And there's a private jam session going on and you haven't been invited. Now you take a course. Jam session? Then there is a jam session. Yeah. What do you want with it? We've got to get in there to prevent a... Uh, oh, um, uh, Mr. Farrell, I-, I want you to hear me sing. You sing, do you? Oh, haven't you heard of me? I'm Pam, uh... Choo-choo, Noah. Choo-choo. That's my style. Okay, Choo-choo. And who's this guy? Look, Mr. Farrell. Uh, that's my husband, um, a Hot Lips North. Uh, Do you ever hear him play on the zither? Zither? Who can play hot on a zither? Oh, you never heard Hot Lips. Has he Hot Lips? Uh, no, he never has. It all sounds fishy to me. Okay, then. Just show us where the jam session is. Okay, Choo-choo. And the first thing we'll do is to hear you sing. And you better be good. Bongo, 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 I don't want to leave the conga, so I think I'll stay where I am. Choo, choo, civilization. I'll stay right here. 
Okay, Choo-Choo, you're not so bad. She's okay, isn't she, boy? Not bad. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it, Mr. Carroll. Jerry, the way it was before, Loopy had a knife. See if he has one now. All right, I'll be right back. Hey, North. Yeah? Who let you out, Farrell? No, no, we let ourselves out and met him in the corridor. Now, look, North. Anybody that crosses me up gets it. Including Flash Farrell. I'll kill anybody that gets between me and Mona. Farrell's in love with her, too, isn't he? Look at her, boy. Wouldn't you be? I've got a very charming wife, thank you. Say, hot lips. Hot lips. Oh, oh, yes, Farrell? Sorry, we haven't got a zither for you. Oh, that's all right, Farrell. Oh, uh, how did you think I was, uh, hot lips? Just great. Uh, Choo-choo? Eddie, how about giving us a number? Uh, sure, Luby, but I'll have to make it the last for tonight. Okay, Eddie, but come on. Come and Flash. Yeah, sure. I'll see you later, Choo-choo. Come on, it's more and more like my dream. You've got to stop Eddie from playing. Okay, I'll try. Hiya, folks. Say, I didn't know you two were hip. Hip? To what? To the rhythm. I didn't know you had the power. Oh, look, Mona, I've got to get over to the bandstand. No, you don't. There's a gun in this handbag of mine. Make like you're just chatting so nobody gets leery. What's the matter? I saw Eddie talking to you. What'd he tell you? He said he'd kill anybody that came between you and him. That means Loopy. Because he knows about Eddie. Does Farrell know about Eddie, too? No, he doesn't. What are you two going to do? We don't know. I'll tell you what to do. Nothing. Just you two keep your trap shut or you'll have bad trouble with me. We can't let him commit murder. Hey, folks, shut up, will you? Eddie's going to rip out with a little lip. All set, Eddie? Take it high. It's going right out the roof. Okay? One, two. Jerry. Yes, darling? The dream, the dream. What? The trumpet was playing and Loopy started to come at me with a knife. The trumpet went higher and higher like he's doing now. Damn, you're imagining things. Nothing can happen now that he's playing. A flat. A. B flat. It's getting closer. Jerry, do something. (laughs) I told you, Jerry. What's the matter with him? Here, let me see. Jerry. Is he... Yes. Eddie Malden... Is dead. Just dead. It's a bad spot for Pam and Jerry, for they know the murderer is right in that cellar room with them. Last word on cleaning teeth is your dentist. Yes, the last word on cleaning teeth is your dentist. And over 4,000 dentists in a nationwide survey said Colgate tooth powder with the two-minute routine gets teeth sparkling and super clean. Yes, dentists say Colgate tooth powder with the two-minute routine gets teeth sparkling and super clean. So to get your teeth sparkling and super clean, to show their full natural sparkle, start today with Colgate tooth powder and this two-minute routine. One. Brush your teeth night and morning for two minutes with Colgate tooth powder. Two. Be sure to brush all three surfaces of your teeth, the biting edge, the inside, and the outside. Three. And always stroke your brush away from the gums. Remember, dentists nationwide approve Colgate tooth powder with the two-minute routine. Remember, too, Colgate tooth powder also freshens and sweetens your breath. The last word on cleaning teeth is your dentist. And dentists say Colgate tooth powder with the two-minute routine... Gets teeth sparkling and super clean. Uh, 
looks like he's been poisoned. Eddie, my Eddie. Okay, which one of you did it? I've got a gun in this bag that's ready for him. Mona, wait. You'll only get yourself in trouble. Listen to what the guy says, Mona. Unless you don't care if you shoot Mona. I care, all right. I want to get the guy that did it. Mona, you're awful sure it was one of us. That's what I was thinking, Mr. Farrell. Mona, you were certainly anxious before to keep us away from Eddie. You're onto it, Pam. How about it, Mona? If anybody tries to hang Eddie's murder on me, they'll go right along with him. I loved him. Mona, don't point that gimmick at me. Listen to reason, Mona. I'm listening. Somebody talk. Pam, I've got an idea. No tricks now, Mr. North. What is it, Jerry? Eddie told me he was going to kill Loopy because Loopy knew he was a convict. And we all know Loopy was in love with Mona. You mean I killed him? You're off beat, mister. Not much. You killed him to get a free hand with Mona. Okay, Loopy. This looks like the last chorus for you. Jerry, wait. That doesn't make sense. Now you're in the groove, Mrs. North. Oh, but it does make sense. Good sense. Sure, Loopy killed him. He hated Eddie. Don't you move, Farrell. Don't any of you forget this gun. I'm not forgetting it. But you listen, Mona. You yourself told us that Farrell didn't know that Eddie was an escaped convict. That's right. What are you getting at, Pam? Well, Loopy didn't have to murder Eddie to get him out of the way. He knew Eddie was an escaped convict, and so all he had to do was report him to the police. But Flash... You didn't know that. And so to get Mona away from him, you thought you had to kill him. That's a lie. Farrell, you're going after Eddie. Don't shoot, Mona. Grab him, Louie. I got him. Me too. Nice going, Mrs. North. You sure got the power. Oh, just call me Choo Choo. Oh, Jerry, what a night. Mm. Now it's almost dawn. We'll be home in a moment, darling. And then some sleep. I could go to sleep right now. <sighs> Jerry, listen. It's that clarinet again. Where's it coming from? Am I dreaming? And so once away? again, the Early Risers Club greets you with music to put you in tune for the day. Oh, a disc jockey on the car radio. And we start as usual with our theme, a recording by Loopy McGee and his clarinet. Want to hear it, dear? I do not. Take me home and let me sleep and never dream again. Tuesday night at the same time, the Colgate Palmolive Pete Company, makers of Halo Shampoo and Colgate Tooth Powder, brings you Mr. and Mrs. North, starring Alice Frost and Joseph Curtin. The characters are based on those originally created by Francis and Richard Lockridge. Original music is composed and conducted by Charles Paul. The program is produced and directed by John Loveton. There's a fragrance that men love, so delightful and gay. Caressing the skin you bathe with cashmere bouquet You're enchanting and trancing with a subtle perfume That whispers of romance in a candlelit room And it's thrilling to bathe each day with cashmere bouquet No other soap gives you skin this exciting bouquet. Be sure you join us again next Tuesday when the Norths are pigeonholed by a pigeon, chased by a pair of lovebirds on the wing, and caught by a murderer who has flown the coop.
This is Charles Stark speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Mr. and Mrs. North from December 9th, 1947. Call Me Choo Choo, starring Alice Frost and Joseph Curtin. Call Me Choo Choo, huh? Uh, you don't look Call like a choo choo. I, I can think of some other Carl names. Carl Choo Choo Amari. I, there's no. some other names, but I probably shouldn't speak. You know that what loud. my you know what my nickname is on my baseball team? I don't know if I want to know. They call me Squid, you know, because my name, Carl Amari, sounds like Calamari. Don't get it. So my baseball buddies. Never heard that one they all before. call me they all call me Squid. Mm. Yeah. I don't I could do better. But I like Choo Choo better. Do I'd rather you? be called Choo Choo. Mm, well, you could keep that to your private life. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you enjoyed Mr. and Mrs. North. That was a good series. You know, unfortunately there's not a lot of Mr. and Mrs. North radio shows that survived. It's a bummer because it was a really, really good series. Hope you enjoyed it. All right, time now for Jack Benny. Fortunately, almost all of the Jack Benny shows exist today, which is great. I mean, I have shows from this first year on the air in the early 30s all the way to the late 50s, you know, hundreds and hundreds of episodes. This is a broadcast from February 12th, 1950. And the big question is, will TV replace radio? I think we all know the answer to that. Absolutely no. Yeah, let's tune into the first portion of the Jack Benny program. The Jack Benny program. City, Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is our second week in New York. So let's go out to the Acme Plaza Hotel where Jack is staying. Our little star is still in bed. Wake up. Huh? Oh, oh, it's you. Yes, boss, it's time to get up. Come on, open your baby blue eyes and look at me. There. Now, here's your teeth. Smile at me. I'm smiling, I'm smiling. What time is it? Four o'clock in the afternoon. Four o'clock in the afternoon? Didn't the sun shine today? I don't know. This room hasn't got a window. What do you mean it hasn't got a window? Raise the shade. There, what's that? A picture of Central Park by Grandma Moses. Well, you could have fooled me. Yesterday, when I lifted the shade, I could have sworn it was snowing. Uh, that was the plaster falling off the ceiling. Oh, yeah, look at the way it drifted up against the baseboard. <laughs> what a hotel. Rochester, you can stop laughing. This is a very nice... Hey, Bender, you want it on the phone. Huh? You want it on the phone. Hand me my robe, Rochester. Here you are. Okay, okay, I'm coming. Where's the phone? Right down the hall. And while you're talking, don't go tampering with a coin box. I won't, I won't. <laughs> yeah, I wonder who could be... Oh, here's the phone on the wall. Hello? Hiya, Jackson. It's about time you answered. Oh, hello, Phil. Do you have any trouble getting this hotel? No, I just dialed B-O-7236 and the Nairwick answered. <laughs> Now, cut that out. What'd you call for, anyway? Well, look, we'll soon be going back to California, and I wanted to know if it's all right with you if Alice and I stopped off at Niagara Falls for a few days. Uh, you know, that's the place to go for a honeymoon. Uh, Phil, you and Alice were married eight years ago. Didn't you go on a honeymoon then? Yeah, but this time we'd like to go without Remley. 
You took Remley on your honeymoon? Didn't know it till we got there. Somebody tied him to the back of the car. <laughs> oh, well, that could happen to anybody. Yeah. Hey, Jackson, what? I got to tell you about a funny coincidence. Yesterday, Alice and I were walking down the street talking about a second honeymoon, and we ran right into the man that married us. Who was that? Petrillo. <laughs> Petrillo? How could Petrillo officiate at your wedding? Why not? My dues was paid up. <laughs> I see. Well, look, I got to hang up now, Dad. I got a lot of things to do tonight. I'm going to see South Pacific. South Pacific? You're going to see South Pacific? Yeah. Gee, how I envy you. I pulled all kinds of strings to see that show. I couldn't even get one ticket. Really? I tried everything. Have you tried money? <laughs> yeah, I even washed Mary Martin's hair. Now, Phil, if you're stopping off at Niagara Falls, will you be back in Hollywood in time for my next Sunday's program? Sure, I'll be there, Jackson. You know I love you. Huh? Your option is coming up. I wouldn't let you down. <laughs> well, that's very thoughtful of you, Maestro. Goodbye. So long, Clyde. So long. <laughs> Bye-bye, baby. Who was it, boss? Uh, Mr. Harris. Well, I better get dressed now. Miss Livingston said that she might... Hmm, there's that dog in the next room barking again. Kept me awake half the night. Got a good mind to complain to his owner. His owner lives at the Sherry Netherlands. <laughs> the Sherry Netherlands? He only took a room here for his dog. Thing. Imagine them putting a cocker spaniel in the next room. They tried to give him this one, but he, he wanted a window. Afforded, why not? Rochester, hand me my tie, will you? Here you are, boy. Come in. Well, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Hello, Rochester. Uh, hello, Miss Livingston. Yeah, don't be late there, right? <laughs> Hi, Miss Livingston. You know, Mary, when you said you might... <laughs> Wait till he goes to the races. <laughs> you know, Mary, Mary, when you said you'd come right over to this hotel, I wasn't sure that you would. Well, I have a confession to make. I only came out here out of curiosity. Oh. And, Jack, this Acme Plaza certainly is different. What do you mean, different? Well, I walked in the lobby. I asked the clerk for your room, and he said it was six floors down. All right. So, so you had to take the elevator. Some elevator. They lowered me in a bucket. <laughs> They got a picture of John L. Lewis in the lobby. Mary. And the bellboys are on a three-day week. Oh, stop. Be happy you found the place. Do you have any trouble? No, I was lucky. I got in the cab and said, Driver, do you know where the Acme Plaza is? And he said, Yes, ma'am, I used to live there when I was out of work. Now I know you just made that up. <laughs> no, I didn't, Dad. Say, uh... Uh, have you had your program all set for Sunday? Most of it, Mary, but I don't know what to do about a commercial. The Sportsman Quartet didn't come to New York. Boss, uh, you mentioned that yesterday, so I took the liberty to ask some friends of mine to come down and audition for you. Oh, thanks, Rochester. And you know, Mary, I thought that on the opening of the show, I might play my violin. I haven't done that yet in New York. Oh, Jack, nobody wants to hear you play Love and Bloom. Mary, I've learned a new one, Some Enchanted Evening. Wait till I, wait till I get my violin and I'll play it for you. Here it is, boss. Thanks. Oh, Mary, this will be swell now. Okay. Oh, wait a minute, wait till you hear this.
how do you like that? <laughs> hey, listen. There's another violinist in this hotel. That's the dog. He's playing at the palace this week. <laughs> No kidding. He used to be with a Met, but he had trouble with Rudolph Bing. Oh, oh yes, I read about that. Anyway, Mary, I'm going to play my violin in the program. It'll be very good. Okay, Jack, okay. Now, how about going out and get something to eat? We don't have to go out. We can eat right here. Jack, you mean you want to eat here in this room? Certainly. Rochester, get room service. Yes, sir. I'll put a note in the bucket and tell them to lower a waiter. Stop being funny. I don't care how you do it. Jack, there's so many nice restaurants in town. Why don't we go out? Mary, they have very fine food here. There's nothing wrong with this hotel. Maybe a little out of the way. What was that? Well, hello, Jack. Hello, Mary. Hello, Don. Don, I didn't expect to see you. How'd you know where I live? Why, I didn't. I was walking along the street and fell down an open manhole. <laughs> oh. Gosh, what a beautiful view of Central Park. Ouch! Don, what happened? Tried to stick my head out the window. Look, Jack, it's snowing. Yeah. Well, that must be the waiter now. Come in. Room service. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Come in, waiter. Mary, uh, what do you want to eat? Oh, I don't know. Uh, waiter, let me see that menu. Here you are, kid. <laughs> Yeah, Mary, Mary, let me look at it. Now, let's see. Beef stew, wieners and sauerkraut, goulash, spaghetti and meatballs, porterhouse steak. Say, that's reasonable for a porterhouse. That's the old price. We had to raise it. Oh. How much is it now? Forty-five cents. <laughs> Jack, huh? can't we go somewhere else? Don't worry about it, Mary. The food is fine here. Oh, all right. Waiter, have you any lamb chops? Yes, ma'am. I'll have that, too. Oh, waiter, we'll all have lamb chops. Yes, sir. Would you mind saving the bones for the guests in the next room? <laughs> what? He always likes something to eat after his last show. <laughs> Never mind, waiter. Go get the food. Oh, say, Jack, you started to tell me something about the program. Oh, yes, Don. Now, look at it. Well, I was planning to play my violin. And then after the commercial, I thought we would do Allen's Alley. Allen's Alley? Yes, Mary, look. You see, Fred Allen has been off the air for nearly a year. And as long as we're here in New York, I thought it'd be a nice touch to bring back those wonderful people who lived in Allen's Alley. Oh, that's a swell idea, Jack. I'm glad you like it, Don, because I've already hired Kenny Delmar, Parker Fenley... Peter Donald. Well, so who's going to play the part of Fred Allen? I am, Mary, and you'll be Portland. But, Jack, do you think we can play those parts? Certainly, Mary. Look, here's exactly how it'll go on the program. Now, first, I'll put a clothespin on my nose like this. <laughs> now, wait, wait, wait till I fix it here on the nose. I have to, I have to sound like... Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> and then, and then you say... Oh, Mr. Allen! Mr. Allen! Well, Portland, gee... 
Well, Portland, I see you're reading the newspaper. What's new? Well, here's an interesting item in the personal column. A personal ad? Read it to me. (laughs) Here it is. Two handsome young men with sniffles would like to meet two attractive young ladies with fever. Object to share four-way coal tablets. Gad, what romance. Come on, Portland, let's go down to Allen's Alley. And what is your question tonight? My question tonight is, do you think television will replace radio? Shall we go? As the man said when he stepped on his bathroom scales, I'm on my way. Well, things look kind of quiet here in Allen's Alley, but I think Senator Claghorn is home. I can smell the aroma of poached possum. I'll knock on his door. Somebody say somebody pizzicatoed my pie. Yes, Senator. Big up, don't stand there spinning your pivot tooth. It makes me dizzy. <laughs> Get to the point, son. I'm busier than a bubble dancer with a slow leak. All right, Senator, but I... Make it fast, son. I'm packing. Leaving for Florida, that is. Oh, is this your first trip? Son, I've spent so much time down in Florida, people think I'm Mayor O'Dwyer. Now, look. That's a joke, son. I know, I know. Well, you ain't when you hear a joke, you're supposed to yock it up. All right, all right. Now, look, Senator, I have a question I'd like to ask you. Do you think television will ever replace radio? Well, I don't know about that, son, but I do know that television will play a big part in the next presidential election. What do you mean, Senator? Well, now, there won't be any campaign speeches in 1952. For the Democrats, Margaret will sing, and little old Harry will play the piano. I see. Yeah, and the, and the Republican... Um, the Republican... The Republicans, they're going to make a song and dance team out of Taft and Hartley. Well, Senator, if television will play such a big part, who do you think will win the next election? Milton Berle. So long, sir. So long. the senator is a windy one. I'll pick up my hat and go next door. I wonder if Titus Moody is in. Howdy, bub. Well... Say, Titus... (laughs) Say, Titus, what's the matter? You look like you've been crying. All night long. Crying all through the night? What's wrong? Oh, my friend, Lem Hawkins. He up and died. Oh, that's a shame. When did Lem die? Last spring. (laughs) Wait a minute, Mr. Moody. How come you're crying now if Lem went last spring? He died during the planting season. I was too busy then. (laughs) How old was Lem? Ninety-seven. Died of old age, eh? No, no, no. It was an accident. An accident? Yeah. He worked over at the maple syrup factory. Yes. One day he slipped, fell into a vat of maple syrup, sweetened himself to death. 
That's the first half of the Jack Benny program from February 12th, 1950. Jack and all his gang, and we'll get back to that in our next hour. But first, this short break. Lisa, we have a classic radio club, and we invite everyone listening to join. Just go to our website, ClassicRadioClub.com. And if you are a member, here's what happens. I will hand-select 10 classic radio shows each and every month from my library of over 100,000 shows. Now, I take my time. I really comb through the library and pick 10 really interesting programs. Of course, the best quality programs as well. I write about those shows, and we send them to the members of the Classic Radio Club. Now, you get them either via digital download right to your computer and you digitally download, listen to them on any listening device, or you can get the five CDs in a collector case. Now, I know Mike likes those. He's a member of the club. I like the CDs. I know you don't. You like the digital downloads, Well, that's true, but I know also a lot of our listeners appreciate CDs and have CD players and find that method easier. And it certainly is more attractive if you want to collect the shows. But everybody is always saying, do you still sell CDs? The answer is a definite yes. Yeah, we do. In fact, more people get the CDs than do the digital download. But either way, folks, you can go to our uh, website, ClassicRadioClub.com. We'd love you to join Check it out, and you can cancel at any time. This is not one of those things where you join and then you're roped into it for a long time. You can literally join and cancel the next month if you don't like it. But I think you'll like it. Most people stay in for, I mean, we've had people in there for for the from day one, for two years now that we've had the club. So go to ClassicRadioClub.com. In our next hour, we'll have the conclusion to the Jack Benny program. Then we'll tune into Big Town, starring Edward Pauly. That's all coming your way in our next hour right after the news. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. This is hour two. We're here every single Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. We have a new format, eight classic radio shows. We are just jam-packing the classic radio into our full five-hour show, Lisa. Eight is more than five. This so we <laughs> very, very true. We are playing as much classic radio as we can get into the full five hours. Yes, indeed. And you know what, Lisa? What, Carl? Here, look. Oh, I know what Veronica that is. My Veronica M face mask. I love it. Everywhere I go, I wear it. That is the best face mask that you can buy. They are so soft. They are very fashionable. They have Great quality, great fit. They are five masks, $35. All masks are unisex. They have a self-tie option or the elastic option. And there's all sorts of patterns. There's stripes, there's solids, there's camouflage. I gave my son the camouflage one he likes. Did you? Yeah. I was a little hesitant to give that to you. That was my favorite. Yeah, I wear the all black one because I'm a ninja too at night. Right, of course you are. Uh, I think you should check it out. Go to her website. It's Veronica. M. shop. You can follow her on Instagram at Veronica M. Clothing. All of these masks are made in the USA. They are made in her factory in Los Angeles. Five masks, $35. Beautiful masks, comfortable, safe, quality, best fit around. Since you have to wear masks anyway, wear the same masks Lisa and I are wearing. Wear the best. Veronica and you know what? M. Go to the Facebook page. Check out my family and the WGN team wearing these masks. And you can also see some of the behind-the-scenes photo making the masks. All right. When we come back from the break, it's the conclusion to the Jack Benny program and then Big Town. Stick around.
Hour two of the WGN Radio Theater. We're here every Saturday night, 10 p.m. till 3 o'clock in the morning. In our last hour, we began listening to a very funny episode of the Jack Benny program. Will TV replace radio? I think so. Here's the conclusion now to the Jack Benny program. (laughs) Now. Yep, yep. That was last spring. They're still fighting the ants off his grave. Enough about the saccharine, Mr. Hawkins. I'd like to ask you a question. Make it fast, bub. I got to go slop the hogs. <laughs> Mr. Moody, do you think television will replace radio? Why, no, no. The farmers, they'll never go for television. Why not? Well, sir, I bought a television set myself, put it in the hen house to step up egg production. And did it work? Well, first I tuned in the wrestling matches for them. That didn't do any good. It didn't? No. When gorgeous George come on, the hens would just sit there and pen. Uh-huh. Then I tuned in Faye Emerson. Yes? I'd just sit there and pen. I see. Finally, I found the program that made the hens lay eggs. Hop along, Cassidy. How did Hoppy make those hands produce? Well, sir, every time Hoppy shot his gun, they'd lay egg. No. Yep. It was a pleasure to watch Hoppy in a six-reeler. Him a-shooting and them a-laying. So now you're prosperous. Well, no. I, uh, I would have been, but in one picture, Hoppy double-crossed me. Hoppy double-crossed you? How? Well, he pulled out a machine gun. All my hens dropped dead trying. (laughs) Well, I wonder who I'll find in this next house. Ah, sure, it's good to see you again. The same to you, Ajax. But wait, you have a black eye. I have, I have, me boy. It is a badge of honor I acquired last night during a fracas at Kerrigan's Cozy Corner. You mean you were in a fight? Tell me what happened. I will. Last night, you see, I entered Kerrigan's Cozy Corner. A peaceful man, uh-huh. with nothing on me mind but the delights of a tall, foaming glass of beer. Yeah. So I ordered me beer, you see. And over comes Kerrigan and questions me credit. I see. Well, when Kerrigan cast aspersions on me credit, we exchanged a few words. Uh-huh. <laughs> then we exchanged a few blows. Uh-huh. And Kerrigan started hitting me over the head with a bottle of four roses. <laughs> And what happened next? He switched to Calvert. (laughs) Well, Ajax, the question I'd like to ask you tonight is, do you think television will replace radio? Well, no, me boy, that's a hard question to answer. Uh Uh-huh. You see, in my house, we have both a television set and a radio. I see. And what do you listen to most? My wife. Goodbye, you
that brings us to the last little house in Allen's Alley. I wonder who we'll find here. Hello, Mr. Allen. Why, Mr. Ketchum. Tell me, Mr. Kitzel, what are you doing here in New York? Well, Mr. Allen, last week in Hollywood, I was walking down Sunset Boulevard, and as I passed a radio station, a man with a hook dragged me into a quiz program. A quiz program? Yeah, they asked me questions, I gave them answers, and the next thing I know, I'm spending two glorious weeks in the Bronx. (laughs) Well, that's wonderful. Tell me, Mr. Kitzel, are you having a good time? <laughs> Mr. Allen, every night, a different show. Really? What shows have you seen since you've been here? Oh, I saw The Rat Race, Death of a Salesman, Miss Liberty, and last night I saw Max's Little Darling. <laughs> <laughs> Texas, little darling. No, Max's little darling. I had dinner with my brother, Max's wife. Oh. Some little darling. She weighs 240 pounds. 240 pounds? On the present rate of exchange. Well, getting back to the original question, I'd like to ask your honest opinion. Do you think television will replace radio? For this, I'm in no position to venture an opinion. You're not, eh? No. I'll admit that I didn't rush out to, 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 to buy one. Uh-huh. Being very practical, I listened first to what people were saying about it, whether uh-huh. they were making them good enough and whether it was worth the investment. Uh-huh. And after debating to myself pro and con, yeah. I finally decided it was here to stay, so last week I went out and bought one. A television set? No, a radio. <laughs> Dad, what a display of confidence. (laughs) Well, that's all I wanted to know. Goodbye, Mr. Kitzel. Goodbye, Mr. Benny. What? (laughs) With those blue eyes, you didn't fool me for one second. Well, thank you. So, you see, Mary, it'll be a cinch to do Alan's Alley on the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say we've had a very pleasant two weeks here in New York, and next week we'll be broadcasting again from Hollywood, California. Good night, everybody. Be sure to hear Dennis Day and the damn the life of Dennis Day. Stay tuned for the Amos and Andy show, which follows immediately. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's the Jack Benny program from February 12th, 1950. Will TV replace radio starring Jack Benny and all his gang? A very funny episode. I love Jack Benny. Jack Benny's like everybody. Everybody loves Jack Benny, you know? All right. It's time now for Big Town, a newspaper drama. Edward G. Robinson starred as crusading newspaper editor Steve Wilson from 1937 until 1942. But then... 
Edward Pauley took over. And in its peak, Big Town was the highest rated drama on radio. We have an episode starring Edward Pauley now going back to a broadcast date of April 5th, 1949. This is called The Squeaking Rat. Here is Big Town. Extra Big Town. Editor gets murder threat. Gang goes strike on Big Town. Extra Big Town. All right, pack your things, Lorelei. I'm sending you out of Big Town until I find out what's back of these racket threats. Oh, now, wait a minute, Steve. You're the one who's been threatened, not me. Now, listen, Wilson. Lay off my rackets and I'll tip you on who's trying to get you. Is it a deal? I'll make no deal with you, Lawler. And call off your gun goons or they'll get you the chair. Such are the highlights of the deadly gimmick of the squeaking rat on Big Town. Brought to you by Lever Brothers Company, makers of Life Boy Health Soap. Another exciting adventure of fighting editor Steve Wilson of the Illustrated Press, whose newspaper creed stands for freedom and justice against the forces of intolerance and evil. The power and the freedom of the press is a flaming sword that it may be a faithful servant of all the people. Use it justly, hold it high, guard it well. Now to Big Town and tonight's headline story of the deadly gimmick of the squeaking rat. This is the strange story of a two- and four-legged rat. One, a vicious little criminal with a warped sense of humor. The other, a toy mouse with a squeaker in its rubber hide. Such is the background of this story that began as Lorelei Kilburn ushered an unexpected visitor into Steve Wilson's office at the Illustrated Press. Steve, could you spare a moment? Always for you, Lorelei, my lovely. Come in. Not for me this time, Steve. You have a visitor. Come in, Mr. Lawler. Thanks, Kilburn. Hello, Wilson. Well, hello, Lawler. We're honored... Save the wisecracks for an editorial, Wilson. I want to talk to you. Fine, sit down. Thanks. May we quote you, or is this off the record? Like most of your financial activities. Well, that depends. But I'm not talking in front of witnesses. Send your girl Friday reporter out to buy a hat. All right, go buy a hat, Lorelei. On the Illustrated Press expense account, That depends on Mr. Lawler. Okay. Make it good, Mr. Lawler. I will. All right, Lawler, what's on your mind? Just a sec. What about that, uh, that speakerphone on your desk? It's switched off. But, uh, a hidden microphone would have been a good idea. Especially if I'd known you were coming. Mm -hmm. That's why I made it a surprise. All right, what's on your mind? Plenty. How do you like our editorials and feature articles on your mysterious financial activities in Big Town? I don't. Good. You're causing me plenty of trouble. Fine. The white heat of publicity sometimes fumigates the rat holes of the rackets. Now, look here, Wilson. I simply loan money. If it is used to finance rackets, I'm not criminally responsible. Oh, yes, we made that quite plain in Miss Kilburn's series of articles. You have no cause for a lawsuit on the grounds of libel or slander. If I had, you'd have heard from my lawyer, not from me. Yes, I know. So why this personal visit? What's on your mind? I want you and your newspaper to lay off me and my activities. Quit writing me up. Forget me. Well, most legitimate businessmen would pay plenty to get the amount of publicity we've been giving you. Sure. But I'll pay plenty if you lay off. What's the matter, Lawler? Is your filthy finance getting too hot for your shady clients? 
The bookies, slot machine operators, and numbers bankers? Are they afraid to do business with you because it puts them in the same spotlight of publicity you're in? Yes. And I'm here to make you a proposition. Go ahead. Make it. Now, I know there's no use offering you dough. Thanks for the compliment. You're welcome. But, uh, lay off me and my activities and, uh, I'll feed you enough tips on the rackets to fill your front page with a scoop every day of the week. Why, you squealing rat. In your rackets, you wouldn't last a week. Nobody need ever know where you got your information except you and me. Don't kid yourself, Lawler. The sewer circuit of the underworld has a grapevine information service that would make a Hooper survey look like something out of a cup of tea leaves. That'd be my worry. Your funeral. So you won't trade. Listen, Lawler. I wouldn't deal with you if you gave me the inside dope on every unsolved murder in Big Town. Why not? Because men like you are behind and responsible for half the gang killings in this town. Prove that, Wilson. I'm trying. And I must be close to proving it, or you wouldn't be here. Well, you won't be anywhere very long if you don't lay off. Is that a threat? Not from me, no, but I got a lot of friends. Friends? Why, you haven't a friend in the world, Lawler. No one you can trust, and no one that trusts you. So you won't play ball. No, Lawler, and you better tell your so-called friends that if anything happens to any of my staff, they'll be putting a rope around your neck after the deal you've offered me in this office. Oh, yeah? <laughs> That'll be your word against mine, Wilson. Not quite. Just a minute. Lorelei. Yes, Steve? Did you get that choice bit of dialogue? Yes, Steve. You want to hear a playback of your conversation with Mr. Lawler? No, but I think Lawler would like to hear how his voice sounds. Why, you double-crossing newspaper slug. You had a microphone hidden somewhere. You sent Kilburn out to turn it on. Yes, in the Statue of Justice here on my desk, Lawler. Appropriate, isn't it? You slug. That won't help you, Lawler. Justice, crushed to earth, will rise and weigh you on her scales. To quote an unquote paraphrase... Lay off me and my business or you won't live to see it happen. Go on, Lawler. Is that microphone still working, Lorelei? Yes, Steve. The tape recorder is getting it all. You better lay off, Wilson. You've started something even I can't stop. Get out, Lawler. Get out of this newspaper office and stop whatever you started. Because if anything happens to any of my staff, the recording of our conversation will be enough to send you up the river for the rest of your natural life. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. And the cleaner you get your skin, the surer you are of being fresh and attractive. So remember, Life Boy, with its purifying ingredient, gets skin cleaner, stops B.O. as no other leading soap can. Here's what the doctors proved in 820 scientific tests. People took daily baths with different soaps. Doctors found that Life Boy does more than just remove the grime and perspiration you can see. Life Boy's purifying ingredient makes it more effective than any other leading soap against the invisible dirt that brings on B.O. Life Boy's milder, too. Safe even for baby's tender skin. And you'll like the way Life Boy, made with costly coconut oil, bursts into quick white lather, even in hard water. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. Life Boy gets skin cleaner, keeps you fresh and attractive, protects you as no other leading soap can. Bathe with Life Boy every day. Get the big new bath size. Buy Life Boy right away. <laughs> Thank you.
Now, back to Big Town and to Steve Wilson and Lorelei as they face a showdown with a big-time racket operator they have goaded into threats of retaliation in tonight's headline story of the deadly gimmick of the squeaking rat. Hey, gimmick, what's the big idea driving out in this old coal dock? I ain't in no mood for no necking party, even if you was my type. Don't butter yourself on both sides, Ruby. You ain't my type either. So what's the idea? One of your gags? Yeah. I'm gonna pull a yak on a guy. Ain't it kind of late for April Fool jokes? Ah, this ain't gonna be no joke. I fixed me up a gimmick for a guy that's getting in the hair of a hotshot pal of mine. <laughs> ah, you and your gimmicks. No wonder you got that nickname. Oh, what's it this time? A stink bomb or an exploding cigar? Yeah, hot, baby. Red hot. It's in this box. What's in the box, mystery man? <laughs> a toy mouse, baby. One of them rubber rats with a squeaker in it. Yeah, you squeeze it and it squeaks. So what? So when this guy gets this package and opens it up, he's going to find the mouse and see the squeaker. And he's going to be curious enough to try and see if the squeaker works. <laughs> So what's the yuck in that? The rat's primed with high explosive. It'll blow his top. <laughs> hey, how's that for a gag? Some gag. Hey, now, wait a sec, gimmick. That's liable to be murder, and I don't want to get mixed up in it. You don't want to go back to the hen pen, do you? No, no, but listen, gimmick, do Now, I... you listen. Do like you're told. There's an old moocher named Willie the Weep that lives in that shanty boat over there. Is it him you're after? Nah, but he's a tipster for the guy I want to get. Who? A newspaper slug named Steve Wilson of the press. So, what's the pitch? Get out of the car. Go over there and leave this box in front of Willie's door. Hey, now, wait a minute. What if the moocher comes out and spots me? There's a light in the shanty boat. He must be home. Nah, quit worrying. Just put it in front of his door and beat it. I'll turn the jalopy around and be ready to haul out of here. Go on, go on. Take the box, but don't drop it. All right, but what if the thing goes off? Don't worry. It won't go till somebody gets curious enough to squeak that rat. <laughs> that recording is all ready to play, Steve. Good. I phoned Callahan of Homicide, and I want him to hear it, Laurel. I... Come in. I have an assignment for you. Why Homicide, Steve? And what's my assignment? I want you to go to Washington for a few days until we find out what's behind Lawler's threats. Oh, now, wait a minute, Steve. Even if I did write those feature articles on Lawler's mysterious financial activities, surely you don't think he's going to do anything about it? I'm not taking any chances, Lorelei. The notion that reporters aren't killed for racket exposés has been disproven several times, and I don't want it confirmed by your obituary. Well, then you better come along to Washington. Lawler threatened you, not me. Sorry, you're taking a night plane. Just a minute. Steve Wilson, Illustrated Press. Mr. Wilson, it's me. Willie's a weep. Hello, Willie. What's up along the waterfront? I don't know, Mr. Wilson, but somebody left a package in front of the door of my shanty boat and beat it in a car before I could see who it was. What kind of package, Willie? Just a little old box wrapped in paper, and it's addressed to you, Mr. Wilson. Addressed to me? Yeah, it says, for Steve Wilson of the Illustrated Press... And the letters is cut out of newspaper and placed it on the package like crooks use on ransom notes. Where are you, Willie? Oh, in a payphone near the docks. Where's the package? 
I got it with me. What will I do with it, Mr. Wilson? Willie, listen carefully. I'm listening. Be very careful of that package, Willie. Don't drop it. And don't open it. Oh, I wouldn't do that, Mr. Wilson. I'd never open anybody else's packages, Mr. Wilson. But why do you suppose it was left in front of my shanty door? Because someone must know you give me tips about events along the waterfront, Willie. I want you to come to the press office right away. Watch yourself now, Willie. And be careful how you handle that package. Yeah, hello. That you, Mr. Lawler? Who wants to know? It's me. Gimmick Martin. Lost the laughs. What's the idea of calling me on my private wire and what's the gag? It's a gag to get a certain wise guy that's been getting in your hair lately. Don't do me any favors, Gimmick. Your tricks and gags are about as funny as a crutch. Don't worry. This one will pay off with a great big yacht. And already it's in the works. What's in the works, comic? You know that racket-busting newspaper slug, Wilson? Wilson of the Press? Yeah. You dope, what have you pulled? Relax. Just send him a little April Fool present. A little late, but he'll get the gag of the gimmick. <laughs> what kind of a present? What have you sent him, you dope? Hey, is that gratitude? I figured I was doing you a favor. Your kind of favor can tie me to you and your other punk pals I'm backing. What have you sent Wilson? A gimmick that'll blow his head off if he's curious. Newspaper guys are curious about everything. <laughs> what kind of a gimmick, you laughing hyena? Just a toy mouse with a squeaker in it, and he'll figure it's somebody's way of calling him a rat. <laughs> oh. Oh, is that all? Yeah, nah, nah, that, that ain't all. That's just the come on. Listen, the payoff comes when Wilson gets curious and squeezes the mouse's squeaker to see if it works. And then what happens? Comes then the big yuck. The mouse blows up and blows Wilson right out of your head. Oh, gimmick, you dope. I left Wilson not half an hour ago. I warned him to lay off. I threatened him. They had a microphone planted on me, and if anything happens, they'll nail me for it. Creeps, how was I to know that? Never mind. How did you send that booby trap? I planted it with a moocher named Willie the Weep, one of Wilson's waterfront tipsters. Well, get it back, you crazy fool. Get it away from that mooch. Now, now, wait a minute. I don't know as I can. I've been watching him. Willie phoned Wilson as soon as he found the package. He's on his way to Wilson's office right now. Go after him. Wait for him outside the press office. Get that package away from him before you get me a reserved seat in a chair. Okay, Ruby, wait here, right behind the wheel. Hey, what's the matter with you, gimmick? What's the idea of racing across town and parking right in front of the Illustrated Press? Shut up, Ruby. Stay under the wheel and be ready to roll out of here, but quick. Okay, okay, but what's the big idea? What you watching for? That mooch and dope, Willie the Wee? Yeah, I gotta get that package back. Ha! Huh? Now I've heard everything. A while ago, that was gonna be the yak of the year. Now you gotta call it off. What gives? Button up and get ready to roll. I see the moocher coming down the block carrying a box. You're going to grab it? Yeah, get set to start the motor and, and leave this car door open so, so I can jump in quick. Okay, but you better watch that hacky leaning against his cab there in front of the press entrance. I'll sap him if he butts in on this. Get set. Okay, hurry it up. Hiya, Willie. What you doing up in this section of time? Oh, hello, Harry. 
No, I've got to deliver a very important package to Mr. Wilson. You walk all the way from the waterfront? Yeah, Harry. No, I didn't have a nickel for bus fare. I'll hack you back when you come on. Thanks, Harry, but I'll mooch my way back. Wait a minute, Willie. Maybe you won't have to mooch your way back to the docks. Who are you, mister? Let go my arm. Hold still, punk. you got something I want. Give me that package. No, I won't. This package is for Mr. Wilson of the Illustrated Press. You let go. Harry! Harry! Harry the hack! Help! Shut up. Shut up. Give me that package, you dumb. Won't you let go? Harry! Come in, Willie. Let go of my pal, Willie, or I'll crack your cranium with this knocker knocker. Oh, yeah! Run, Willie, in a press building, quick. I'll hold this monkey. Well, hold him. I'll get help, Harry. I'll get help. What's a big idea, you slug? This is the big idea, you meddling, hacky dope. Ruby, and get the motor going. Roll this heap. Let's get out of here. Willie with the package and Harry, look at Come him. in, Willie. Good grief. What's happened to you two? A fellow tried to get this package from me right in front of the press entrance, Mr. Wilson. Yeah, he jumped Willie and I jumped him, but he was plenty handy with a blackjack, boy. Harry tried to hold him, but he got away in a car that had a girl driver. Did either one of you spot the license number? Not me. I was seeing stars. Sorry, boy. And I was too busy holding on to this package you said to be careful of, Mr. Wilson. Now, let's see that package, Willie. Put it on the desk very carefully. What is it, Mr. Wilson? How come I got to be so careful with it? I don't know, Willie. But there's something queer about this whole affair, and we're not going to take any chances. Well, maybe it's a delayed April Fool's joke, Steve. Perhaps, Laura Lyon, but the fact it was left in front of Willie's shanty could mean it comes from someone who knows Willie works for us from time to time. But, Steve, maybe it's another one of those symbolic threats you get from cranks every once in a while. Knives, silver bullets, musical coffins, skulls with bullet holes in them. Yeah, uh, have you still got the desk drawer full of them, boss? Yes, Harry. And Steve still calls it his no-hope chest. Yes, but this package is different. Uh, how so, Steve? Because someone tried to recover it, Laura and I. Something must have happened between the time it was left outside Willie's shantyboat and the time he reached here. That wasn't more than half an hour, Mr. Wilson. And in that half hour, someone changed their mind about wanting me to receive this package. Steve... Mark Lawler said someone might get you, shut you up if you didn't lay off. Yes, and Lawler knows we have a recording of his threats. Holy moly, boss. Maybe that box is a bomb, a time bomb. It's about the size of an alarm clock. No, Harry, I'm sure there's no time clock mechanism. I listened very carefully, and it isn't heavy enough for a battery type. Now, Steve, be careful. Don't open it. Don't worry. In fact, Callahan has a couple of specialists who know how to handle such things. Take that call on a line. Tell whoever it is that I'll call them back. Okay, Steve. Steve Wilson's office, Illustrated Press. Hello, police headquarters. Inspector Callahan of Homicide, please. Steve Wilson calling. Oh. Now, who's calling me, Lorna? Uh, Steve, I think you better take this incoming call now. Well, who, who is it, Lorna? Mark Lawler, and he sounds worried. Well, he may have good reason here. Take this other call to Callahan. Ask him to come up here and bring one of his bomb specialists on the double. Okay, you talk to Lawler. He sounds like a cat on a hot well, dog. He may be just that and a lot more. All right, Lawler. What's on your mind? I suppose you've got that wire recorder hooked up with this phone, Wilson. You'll have to risk that, Lawler. What's on your mind since you last talked? I got a hot tip for you, Wilson. I told you I'm not buying any tips from you, Lawler. I don't want anything for this tip. And I don't want any favors. You better listen, Wilson. 
Why should I listen to you? You're marked to get it and how. All right. How? Well, just for the benefit of your tape recorder, I don't know. But you're primed to get it, but good. Stop lying, Lawler. If you know anything, you know all about it. And you probably know your stooge wasn't able to get the package back from Willie the Weeper. Hey, it wasn't my idea. I had nothing to do with it. Well, you'll have a tough time proving it. After the threats you made in this office tonight? Well, I didn't know about it then. I was just bluffing, trying to scare you off. Yes, I thought as much. What have you heard since then? Who sent that package? Talk. All right, Lawler. Talk if you want to get out of this. Now, wait a minute. Uh, what's the deal for me? I'm making no bargains with you, Lawler. Who left the package with Willie the Weep and beat him up with a blackjack trying to get it back? What's his name? What's his name, Lawler? All right. A punk numbers banker called Gimmick Mart. Gimmick Mart? Yeah. Where's he hang out? I, uh, I don't know. But he's going to call me again in a few minutes and, uh... I could tell him to be someplace and you could pick him up. Tell him to be at your office in half an hour. My office? Yes, your office. But he'll know I crossed him up if you show with the cops. He'll know it sooner or later. Take it or leave it, Lawler. Okay, I'll take it. All right. Have him at your office in half an hour or the gimmick's gimmick may blast you into prison for a lot of years. <laughs> Life Boy gets skin cleaner. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. And the cleaner you get your skin, the surer you are of being fresh and attractive. So remember, Life Boy, with its purifying ingredient, gets skin cleaner, stops B.O. as no other leading soap can. Here's what the doctors proved in 820 scientific tests. People took daily baths with different soaps. Doctors found that Life Boy does more than just remove the grime and perspiration you can see. Life Boy's purifying ingredient makes it more effective than any other leading soap against the invisible dirt that brings on B.O. Life Boy's milder, too. Safe even for baby's tender skin. And you'll like the way Life Boy, made with costly coconut oil, bursts into quick white lather, even in hard water. Life Boy gets skin cleaner. Life Boy gets skin cleaner, keeps you fresh and attractive, protects you as no other leading soap can. Bathe with Life Boy every day. Get the big new bath size. Buy Life Boy right away. Now back to Big Town and to Steve Wilson and Lorelei as they approach the office of Mark Lawler, a racket backer, in tonight's story headlined The Deadly Gimmick of the Squeaking Rat. Oh, there's Lawler's office, Steve, at the end of the corridor. Wait here, Lorelai. This is where you get off. But, Steve, you're not walking in there alone, unarmed. Oh, yes. But I'm not exactly unarmed, Lorelai. I have this little toy mouse the gimmick sent me with his murderous compliments. But what's the good of that toy mouse? I think it'll frighten a confession out of the gimmick. And Lawler, out of the business of financing rackets, wait here for Callahan of Homicide, Lorelai. He'll be here in a couple of minutes. Then come in and get the facts for Fletch on the city desk. Well, all right. But you be careful. I don't have to phone in your obituary for the final. I'll try to avoid that. 
Oh, hello. Wilson, a racket-busting newsy. Sit down, gimmick. Come in, Wilson. Close the door. Thanks, Lola. I see you got him here. Hey, what's the idea, Lola? Is this the way you pay off guys that try to do you a favor? I don't go for favors to tie me into murder and maybe the chair. I'll get you for this, Lawler. I'll get you for this cross-up if it's the last thing I ever do. You'll have to wait quite a few years before you have a chance to try, Gimmick. Oh, yeah? You ain't got a thing on me, Wilson. Not a thing, but this little present you sent me, care of Willie the Weeper. Uh, hey, uh, what's that? I, I never seen it before. I'll refresh your memory, Gimmick. Let's see what's inside this box. Hey, take it easy, Wilson. <laughs> take it easy. Why back away, gimmick? Aren't you curious? Let's see what's so carefully wrapped in this tissue paper. Hey, take it easy. Well, if it isn't a little toy mouse, look at it, gimmick. Hey, cut it out. Take it easy. Stop backing away, gimmick. It's only a toy mouse. Listen, Wilson. Li <laughs> it was only a gag. For a yuck. <laughs> Yeah, for a laugh. So you admit you sent it to me as a favor to Lawler? Yeah, yeah. A, 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 a guy, give me it. I, I'm always picking up things for gags. <laughs> that's why everybody calls me gimme. Oh, so that's just your way of calling me a rat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There ain't no law against that, Wilson. I, I can't be pinched for pulling a gag. <laughs> give me it, huh? Give me it back. Why do you want it back? It's nothing but a little toy mouse gimmick. With a squeaker in it. A little whistle that squeaks. If you press it like... Wait a minute. Don't squeeze that rat, Wilson. Why not? Here, you take it. No. You press it, gimmick. Suppose you see if it squeaks. No, no, keep it away. Keep it away from me. It's loaded. Loaded, loaded with what? High explosive. It'll tear us to pieces. So it is a deadly booby trap. A murderous little hand grenade in the body of a rubber mouse. Yeah, yeah, take it away, take it away. Put it And you load it and send it to me. Yeah, put it down. I fixed it. It'll blow if you drop it. Put it down. All right, you can stop backing away. Okay, Callahan. Nice going, Steve. We've got all we need. But put that mouse down on the desk. Easy. And for heaven's sake, don't squeak that rat. Well, why not, Callahan? It served its purpose. It's nothing but a harmless substitute copy of the one your bum squat boys took to headquarters. Wilson, you tricky slug. You pulled a yak on me. Yes, gimmick. Uh, would you like to hear this one squeak now? Hey, don't... Yes, Steve. Put that thing down, slow and easy. Well, why should I put it down, Callahan? Because my bomb squad boys made a mistake. They got them rubber rats mixed up when they repacked the box for you. They did what? Yeah, the one they took to headquarters was the Dutt. And this one is the McCoy, still loaded with high explosives that would have gone off if I had squeaked it? Yeah, Steve. To, to quote and unquote... Lay that squeaker down, Steve. Just lay that deadly squeaker down. Well, friends, we all make mistakes. I almost made a fatal one with that squeaking rat. As far as the vicious gimmick... He received a stiff sentence for attempted murder and by treacherously turning state's evidence sent Lawler to prison for criminal conspiracy. How about next week's story, Steve? Well, next Tuesday, there'll be quite a different kind of story from the front pages of the Illustrated Press and headlined, The Lonely Heart. But here's Lorelei 
with another up-to-the-date minute news item. Friends, you've heard tonight how Life Boy gets skin cleaner in your daily bath, keeps you fresh and attractive 24 hours a day. Now, I'd like to suggest that you try Life Boy Health Soap in the big new bath size. Bath size Life Boy is generous and luxurious. And that lather, it's so mild and refreshing. I love it. And I know you'll love it, too. Just ask for the new bath size Life Boy. Thank you, and good night. Friends, if you'd like to see what the cast of Big Town and their real counterparts look like, see the exciting story in the April 12th issue of Look Magazine, now on the newsstands. The current issue of Look is complete with pictures of Big Town's leading characters and their real-life doubles. In tonight's dramatization, all names, times, and places are fictional. Big Town features Edward Pauley as Steve Wilson, Fran Collin as Lorelei Kilburn, and is written and produced by Jerry McGill. Lever Brothers Company has amazing news. New 1950 Rinso with Solium. It's here a year ahead of time. New 1950 Rinso has three times the whiter washing action of any other soap. The sensational new washing action of 1950 Rinso gets white clothes whiter than new, washable colors brighter than new, and keeps them whiter, brighter than any other soap. Rinso is so safe for clothes, so kind to hands. Get new 1950 Rinso at your dealers now. Be sure and be with us again next Tuesday at the same time when Lever Brothers Company will again present Big Town. This is your narrator, Dwight Wiest, bidding you good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Another five-minute mystery. party is going on at the Brown household around the corner. One of the guests, George Taylor, pauses while eating his dessert to say, mm, best lemon chiffon pie I've ever tasted, Mary. I wish my wife could do as well. Say, it doesn't look as if Sam is appreciating it much, though. Goodness, dear, is my cooking that bad? Sam, your head's practically in your plate. I guess it's falling asleep, everyone. I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's all right. Sam, Sam, sit up. Oh, dreadful. I'd, I'd better shake him. Sam. Sam! Great Gonzi. He's dead. How do you do? I'm Sergeant Barker, the homicide division. Oh. He's one of my boys, Mike Grady. Where's the body? In the dining room at the table. We didn't move him. Mm-hmm. I uh, might as well be comfortable, everybody. This will take just a little while. Mm. Dead, all right. Peaceful, too. Uh, who's Mrs. Sam Brown? I am. And do you mind telling me what happened? I guess not, but I'm so shocked I, I don't know where to begin or what to tell you. Well, you might as well begin by telling me what you served for dinner. Well, we had 
Soup first. Soup? What kind? Mushroom, then roast chicken, green peas, mashed potatoes, certain coffee. But I, I don't see how this could mean anything. Yeah, just routine, Mrs. Brown. Did Mr. Brown eat everything? Yes, he did. He seemed to fall asleep over his coffee. Mm-hmm. And when I tried to wake him, I, I found he'd had a heart attack. Yeah. That'll be all for a few minutes, Mrs. Brown. We want to take a look around. Uh, notice anything about this table, Mike? No, Chief, I can't say as I do. Yeah, neither do I. Let's uh, look in this kitchen here. Yeah, orderly person, isn't she? Stack the dishes after each course. Yes, and here's the silverware over here. Hmm. Ah, look, look, Chief. One of these soup spoons has turned black. Black? Let me see it. And the only spoon that's tarnished, too. Well, I was beginning to think it was a heart attack or a perfect murder, but this silver soup spoon is evidence enough. Uh, Mrs. Brown? Yes, Sergeant Parker? I'm sorry to interrupt your little party, Mrs. Brown, but I'm sure your guests won't mind. I, I don't understand. You will, Mrs. Brown, you will. You see, you're under arrest for the murder of your husband. Do you know why Sergeant Barker accused Mrs. Brown of murder? In a moment, we'll hear the solution. But first, a word from our sponsor. Sergeant Barker, how do you know it was homicide? Well, Mrs. Brown took careful pains to wash the soup pans and soup dishes before she served the rest of the meal. Yes, I can see that. But she forgot one thing, to wash the silver soup spoons. What she didn't realize was that an hour later, by the end of dinner, the spoon her husband had used to eat his toadstool soup would give her away. She didn't know that toadstools make silver turn black. Mrs. Brown almost committed the perfect murder. But she forgot to wash one spoon. Big Town from April 5th, 1949, with The Squeaking Rat, starring Edward Pauley, is heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break, then it's more here on the WGN Radio Theater. Hey, everyone out there in Radio Land, join the Museum of Broadcast Communications. You will get a lot of stuff when you become a member, including 70 classic radio shows, $140 value. 
But all kinds of other things come with your membership right. of the Museum of Broadcast Communications. It's only $49 a year to support the museum. And what you get in addition to the 70 free shows, you get free unlimited museum admission. You get exhibition previews. You get a free monthly newsletter. You get a 10% discount at the store. And, of course, invitations to annual member events. It's a great way to support the museum. And it's a chock full of information at the museum. If you've ever been there, everybody loves loves the Museum of Broadcast Communications, go to their website, which is museum.tv for more information. Museum.tv. And when you join, you will get 70 classic radio shows, $140 value free. In our next hour, we'll tune in to Judy Garland starring in Suspense, plus part one of The Great Gildersleeve. That's all coming your way right after the news. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. Lisa Wolf, my co-host. We're here every Saturday night, 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. And we play eight classic radio shows for you in our five-hour time slot right here on the greatest radio station in the world, WGN. In this hour, Judy Garland stars in a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Then we'll tune in to part one, the first half, of The Great Gildersleeve, starring Hal Perry. That's all coming your way in this hour. But I want to remind everyone listening that we have five free classic radio shows waiting for you to digitally download at our website, 100radioshows.com. Go to 100radioshows.com, digitally download your five free shows, and peruse the hundreds of other classic radio shows available for purchase. But when you do, make sure you use the promo code Code radio at checkout because you'll save how much, Lisa? 70%. 70% off your order. That's pretty darn good. Great deal. Yep. So check it out 100radioshows.com. Stick around. Suspense is coming your way after this short break. Hour three of the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. Lisa Wolf, my co host. We've been on the air here. Over five years on WGN. I, I can't believe it when I think back to all these shows. We're at show 473. Oh, my gosh. Right? You've put up with me for 473 I, shows. Right. Well, a lot of that you take off. You know, you get on your plane. Not me. Fly it's, to Florida. You know what? Right. It's the listeners that keep me going. It's definitely not I, you. But I, I do love our listeners. Lisa loves doing this show. I mean, she loves bringing you these classic radio shows. I do. She's got this huge smile on her face the whole time we're it's broadcasting. It's true. I'm, I'm rather That's Nowhere else but I here. think you have such deep dimples because you're smiling all the time. Well, that could be, could but be. that's not a bad thing. No, even though not, I've heard it was it's not a bad thing. <laughs> all right. It's time for suspense. Uh, I think the greatest show in the history of radio. I mean, it aired from 1942 until 1962, and it had all the top movie stars. I mean, you name the star, Humphrey Bogart, Cary Grant, Lucille Ball, you know, even comedians like Red Skelton, Bob Hope, they appeared on Suspense, too. On this particular episode, Judy Garland stars in a tale called Drive-In from November 21st, 1946. Here's a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. And now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Roma Wines present... Suspense. 
Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Miss Judy Garland as star of Drive-In, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live. To your happiness in entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now, a glass full would be very pleasant, as Roma Wines bring you Judy Garland in a remarkable tale of... Suspense. I wish I hadn't let Ruth talk me into serving that last car that came into the drive-in that rainy night. It was late and I was tired. I'd been on my feet all day carrying heavy trays, hopping to it with impatient people glaring their headlights on and off in my eyes. Heaven knows there are a lot of impatient people in Hollywood. We car hops don't have an easy time of it. Talk about your mail carriers. Well, we're the same, raining or blowing or boiling hot. We've got to get through with that tray or know the reason why. Tired, hungry people who sit back in their car expect a million dollars worth of service for a ten-cent tip. Why do we do it? Sure, there are other ways of making a living in Hollywood, but not many that hold that glittering promise that maybe someday, somehow, maybe someone will say... Why, that girl looks like Lana Turner. Yes, at least her hair's done up that way. I think I could use her, Rennie. The musical version of the Forsyth Saga. Oh, she'd be great in color. I think I'll ask her to come out of the studio. Yes, I know. Maybe it doesn't happen often, but there's always the chance. And, and there's always that hope. That's what keeps us going, I guess. But there are other things that can happen in a drive-in that aren't on the menu. Like that rainy night I was telling you about when I let Ruth talk me into serving that last car that came in. Listen, please take his order, will you? I got three cars. Oh, look at the clock, will you? It's nearly midnight. I'm off duty. Oh, please, Miller, just this once more, will you? My date's waiting. I'll do the same oh, for you, Sam. Hey, what's oh. the matter with him? Can he read? Please do not haunt your horn. It looks clear enough to me. It's a doctor's car. You see, he's probably in a rush. Anyway, you got nobody waiting for you. Oh, all right. Oh, gee, thanks, Mill. It was true. I, I had no one waiting for me. Only the bus that was going to take me to Glendale, where I lived alone in an apartment. So I buttoned up my raincoat and took a menu over to the car. Good evening. Never mind the menu. There's some black coffee, a pot of it, and a ham sandwich. Please hurry it. When I took his order over to the car, the window was rolled up a little too far and it interfered with the tray, so I reached in to wind it down. When I touched the handle, it felt wet and kind of sticky, too, but I didn't think anything about it. I got the tray firmly set, and then I looked at my hand. It was as red as blood. I looked up quickly at him. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Dr. Morgan. I just had an emergency in the car. Oh, an accident? Yes, yeah, Sunset and Vine. Quite a crash. I just happened by, and I took one of them to the hospital. Oh, gee, that's a shame. Yes, it's too bad. back trying to wipe the blood from my hand with a paper napkin. It, it gave me a creepy feeling to have somebody's blood on my hand. Then I went in to wash. I was trying to keep close track of the time and 
I was a little worried for fear the big drive-in clock wasn't right. It sometimes ran slow. So I took a coin from my apron pocket. I figured it was worth a nickel not to miss that last bus to Glendale. I walked over to the payphone, and I was about to drop the nickel in when... I looked out, and he was leaning on the horn and beckoning to me at the same time. I put the nickel back in my pocket and hurried out to him. I'm sorry, but I'm in a hurry. I haven't time for this coffee to cool off. I'll take the sandwich with me. How much do I owe you? Well, uh, I'll be 42 cents. Oh, here you are. Thank you. I hope I didn't interrupt your phone call. It wasn't important, was it? <laughs> no, I was just checking on the time. I don't want to miss my bus. There was a clock right over your head. Well, that's usually wrong. Well, I have the time. It's about four minutes to 12. Oh, I'm going to miss my bus. What time does it leave? At midnight from Hollywood and La Brea. Well, then I'll take you. I'm going right past there. Oh, would you? I'll take the train. I'll be right back. I might still be able to make it. Okay. Uh, in my hurry to unhook the tray from the window, I gave it a jerk and it fell crashing to the ground. Oh, dear. Ruth? Yeah? Look, look, help me with these things, will you? I'm going to miss my well, bus. Go ahead, go ahead, Mildred. I'll get it, I'll get it. We, we picked the things up quickly and Ruth went off with the tray. I started to run around the other side of the car when I noticed something shining on the ground. It was one of the shakers that had fallen from the tray. I picked it up and started toward the driveway. Uh, why don't you just put that in your pocket? You can return it tomorrow. Come on, you're going to miss your bus. I put the shaker in my apron pocket and I rushed over to the other side of the car. He opened the door for me and I was just about to get in when I hesitated. I, I wasn't used to doing this kind of thing. The other girls sometimes let their customers drive them home, but I never did. Still, he looks so decent, and I... Come on. You'll miss it. Then he reached out as if to help me in, and I thought that he was really concerned about my missing the bus, because he seemed to pull me into the car. First thing I knew, I was sitting beside him. Then the door slammed, and we were driving off. I was a little uneasy, but then I thought it's, it's only a few blocks. I won't be in the car long. I suppose you're in a hurry because someone's waiting for you. No, I, I live alone, but I'd hate to walk back to Glendale in this rain. You won't have to walk. Well, this is very nice of you. I appreciate it. Not at all. Uh, would you mind rolling up that window on your side? There's a draft. Oh, of course. Uh, you can, uh, let me off at that corner over there. All right. Mm -hmm. Anywhere along here will be all right. This is fine. Right over there by the stop sign. Wait a minute, you're going through the stop signal. Am I? Yes, but... I'll, I'll get off over there by the other one. My bus! You're turning the wrong way. Am I? Yes, this this goes up to Laurel Canyon. Does it? Hey, let me out of here. You thought you were pretty smart, didn't you? I don't know what you mean. Please, let me out of this car. You went right to the phone. You thought I wouldn't see you. The phone? But I was calling about the time. Honest, I was. The time? With that clock over your head. Oh, but that clock's wrong sometimes. Besides, who, who would I call? Why should I call anyone about you? You were calling the police. No, honest, I wasn't. Let me out of this car. You were going to catch a bus. You were going straight to the police. That's where you were going. Yeah, but why? Why should I go to the police? You know why. No, really, I don't. Because you saw it. 
You saw his blood. No, you don't. There. You won't need to try to open that door again. Now we'll be getting along. Suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Judy Garland in Drive-In. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Between the acts of Suspense, this is Ken Niles for Roma Wines. One week from tonight, Thanksgiving dinner will be gone, but not forgotten. Not if your turkey shares the festive table with Grand Estate California wines. Before the feast, treat your guests to Grand Estate medium sherry, delicious with hors d'oeuvres. Let Grand Estate burgundy or sauterne bring out the full flavor of your holiday dinner. With dessert, enjoy Grand Estate ruby port or golden muscatel. Among the discriminating, Grand Estate wines are famed for brilliant clarity, full fragrance, and mellow taste. A limited bottling by Roma Vintners, each Grand Estate wine is born of choicest grapes. Guided to glorious taste richness by Roma Vintners' patient skill, necessary time, and America's finest winemaking resources. Enrich your Thanksgiving with Grand Estate wines, presented by Roma America's greatest winemaker. Save at present low prices. Tomorrow, buy a case of Grand Estate wines for the holidays. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Judy Garland as Mildred, with Raymond E. Lewis as the man in Drive-In, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. <laughs> I made that last try to get out. He broke the handle of the door. All the strength seemed to go out of my body. I just sat there as we drove on. We passed a few people and some cars in the next blocks. And I thought of calling out, but... Then I knew why he'd asked me to roll up the window when I'd first gotten into the car. Then we were at the mouth of the canyon. And I could see the road dark and lonely up ahead. The car twisted and swerved. My arm ached from his strong fingers that had dug into it when I tried to jump out. I looked at him from the corner of my eye. He hadn't seemed like a criminal back at the driving, and he didn't seem like one now. His jaw was black from needing a shave, so his face... Well, it wasn't like a criminal's at all. It I was so tired. Quit staring at me. Oh, look, I I didn't know anything about you. Honest, I didn't. Please let me go. You know something about me now. Well, I won't tell anybody. Whatever it is, I promise I won't. A woman's promises. Remind me to tell you a story about a woman and promise. Oh, let me out. Please let me out right here. It's a long way back to Glendale. Well, that's all the better. It'll take me hours to get back, and you'll be miles away by then. I'm not taking any chances with you, Ken. 
Please let me out. I've got to get back. You said no one was waiting for you. You live alone, don't you? No one will miss you. We both heard the siren then. He looked quickly in the rear vision mirror. Then he took a gun from his pocket and he turned to me. If that's for us and we'll stop, remember just this. I've used this gun before tonight and I can use it again if I have to. <gasps> if I'm taking your go first. Now listen, I'm a doctor and you're a nurse. We're headed for an emergency. If you want to leave, you won't try to pull anything. Going awful fast for a wet night, aren't you? Followed you up from Hollywood. Uh, I'm Dr. Morgan, officer. This is Nurse Johnson, emergency call. I see your identification. He fumbled through his pockets with one hand, holding the gun in my ribs with the other. The motorcycle cop looked over at me. I thought for a moment I could signal him with my eyes. But then I knew he wasn't looking at my face. He was looking down at my white starched blouse, which you could see under my raincoat. He thought it was a nurse's uniform. Ah, here you are. Okay, Doc. Sorry I stopped you. Hey, just a minute. <gasps> What's the matter? Just wanted to tell you. Rain started to slide up there a ways. Take it easy. Thanks, I will. You're not Dr. Morgan, are you? What do you say? Then we came on the landslide. It wasn't a big one, but it, it made a terrible mess of the road. He didn't slow down, and the car swerved crazily as it slipped from one side of the highway to the other. Suddenly, I felt as though the whole rear end had slipped down. I looked over at him. He was tense. His knuckles turned white as he clutched the wheel. He shoved the car into reverse. Oh, I hoped it had never moved. It didn't. We were stuck, hopelessly stuck. Of all the luck. Suddenly the car was filled with light. A car had come around the curve behind us. This might be by chance. Remember, I still have this gun. Don't try anything. Say, we're stuck here. Could you give us a push? We'll have some California hospitality, will you? I'll have to get out. I'll have to put something under the wheel. You stay here. Now, stay there. There were some bushes by the side of the road. If I could reach them, I could perhaps run up the side of the hill and hide. And then in the morning, make my way back down the canyon. I carefully turned the handle of the door. I could see him in the mirror. He was at the back of the car. I eased the door gently open. Put one foot out. I was just sliding out when I heard him. You're not going anyplace. Come here, give me that raincoat. Why? I need something dry to stuff under this wheel. But I... You won't be needing it. Come on. He practically ripped it off my back. 
Wilded into a ball and bending down, he stuffed it under the wheel. The gun stuck out of his back pocket. If I could get it, if I could lay my hands on it. I held my breath. I reached out. It seemed so far, but I finally touched it. Then I snatched it from his pocket swiftly. Give me that gun. I'm going. You can't stop me now. Can't I? No. You, you stay right where you are. I won't hurt you. All I want to do is get home. I'm going, but if you follow me up... You'll what? I'll kill you. I don't think you will. Yes, I will. You think I'm afraid. Aren't you? No. I don't care what happens to you. You're a murderer. You killed somebody. I thought you didn't know anything about me. I didn't, but I do now, and I'm going to tell the police. You stay where you are. No, don't. I'm not afraid. I'll shoot. Oh, too bad I used up all of those tonight. You could have filled me full of holes. <laughs> right, give me that gun and get in the car. Yeah. Are you going to kill me? What do you think? top of the canyon now. The road was very steep. The rain had let up. It was just drizzling now. Even though he hadn't answered my question, I knew the answer. He was going to kill me. I wouldn't get back home tonight. Not tonight or any other night. It was funny. I sometimes used to hate that little apartment of mine where nothing ever happened. But tonight... And then... For some strange reason, I thought about Ruth. What would she say tomorrow when I didn't show up at work? And I, I wondered where they'd find my body. Well, here we are. Lookout Mountain. Top of the world. came over the crest of the hill and way down below the city stretched out for miles millions of lights glittering in the rain for a moment I forgot everything it was the most beautiful sight I'd ever seen ever been up here before? no nice isn't it? yes I used to come up here with a girl once we used to sit and talk for hours Come on. We'll get a better view if we get out. I knew it was foolish to argue with him, so I followed him. But as he walked over towards the edge, I became frightened. It was such a steep drop. Well? Come on. I'm, I'm afraid to get so close to the edge. You won't fall. Look. That's Los Angeles over there. That bright line of lights is Western Avenue. I went to school somewhere along in there. I used to get in all sorts of trouble at school. But I got by, I managed. Everyone said I'd grow out of it. Look, over that way towards the ocean, that's Westwood. That's where she lived. This girl I was telling you about. That was the best part of my life, I guess. That's when they said marriage and a wife would straighten me out. 
Marriage and a wife would straighten me out in Westwood, they said. Does your wife still live there? No. She's dead. Oh, I'm sorry. You needn't be. I killed her. Why? Because she couldn't keep her promises. Did you kill her tonight? No. A long time ago. The jury said I was insane. But I think it was the sanest thing I ever did. They put me in an asylum. Do you know what it's like being locked up year after year when you know there's nothing wrong with you? No. No, I don't. It isn't good. You'd do anything to get out. Anything. Anything. I knew. I knew if I could keep him talking, maybe a car would come along. Maybe something would happen. It was my only chance. What are you thinking about? You... You killed someone else tonight, didn't you? Yes. Dr. Morgan? Yes. He was one of the men who thought I was insane. Why did you do it? I wanted his car to get away in. I didn't want to be locked up anymore. Oh, but th they'll catch you. No. They won't find the doctor for several days. I saw to that. How can you be so sure? I do things thoroughly. What are you going to do now? First, I'm going to... And then I guess I'll go south. I knew what he meant by that pause. I started to back away slowly. I'd made a mistake by reminding him in the present. My hands went instinctively to my apron pocket for something to defend myself with. I knew there was a pencil there. It was sharp. Maybe I could scratch him or hurt him some way with it, but when I reached for it, I felt something else instead, something cold and hard. I was puzzled for a moment, and then I remembered. It was a shaker I'd picked up at the drive-in. Stand still. And then he started moving toward me. Me with only a pencil and a shaker to defend myself with. It's too bad I came into that drive-in tonight. Oh, why did you? Because I was hungry. Because I hadn't eaten for a long time. Weren't you... Were, Weren't you afraid someone would see you? No alarm had gone up. How, how'd you know? I knew. If only you hadn't rolled that window down. Well, if you're sorry, why don't you let me go? It's too late. What's that? With a sudden movement, his arms were around me in a tight embrace. I started to scream, but suddenly his lips closed over mine. Pushing my head back roughly, he kissed me. I could scarcely breathe, and I... I felt the car's headlights on us like a spotlight. Uh, just look at this view, will you? <laughs> I'll have to do this in a picture sometime. Can't you see you're interrupting something? Come on, drive on, will you? Okay, okay. And in all this rain, you think people would have some more... He held me a moment longer... When the car had gone, he released me. My pencil had fallen to the ground, and I was left with only the shaker in my hand. I fingered it nervously, and then I felt the top coming off. I felt the content spilling in my hand. What have you got in your hand? Nothing. Give it to me. 
No. Give it to me. He grabbed my wrist and pulled me toward him. We were moving to the edge of the cliff, but my other hand was free, and I threw the contents of the shaker into his face. His hands flew to his face in an effort to clear his eyes, but I knew it was too late. The pepper had blinded him. He lunged out for me, but I stepped aside quickly, and he slipped in the mud. His hands went out to steady himself. He clawed frantically at Finley. Then I saw him falling over backwards, over the edge. My strength gave way and I felt myself sinking down to the ground. I don't know how long I must have been there, but when I came to it was raining again. I was soaked to the skin and there was mud caked in my hair. There was no one in sight. The lights of Los, Los Angeles stretched out in a pattern peacefully below. And I knew that somewhere at the foot of those hills was Glendale. And my apartment. I rose slowly to my feet and I started back toward the road. Somehow... Everything that had happened seemed unreal. Like a dream. Everything but the way he kissed me. To keep me from crying out. Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A. Selected for your pleasure from the world's greatest reserves of fine wines. And now it's curtain call time for tonight's suspense star, Judy Garland. Judy, you were grand. We hope you enjoyed your part tonight as much as we did your performance. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. As a matter of fact, playing the part of a waitress tonight was a treat. I just pictured myself knee-deep in juicy steaks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that reminds me, Judy, as a waitress, you deserve a tip. And here's the best tip I know. To make Thanksgiving dinner really outstanding, serve Grand Estate California Burgundy or Sauternes. For Grand Estate wines presented by Roma, America's greatest vintner, are the ultimate in wine excellence. Yes, the brilliant clarity, full fragrance, and mellow taste of Grand Estate wines please the most discriminating guests. Well, I know that my guests would agree with you. And Judy, there's a reason Grand Estate Burgundy and Sauternes are distinctively better. Because for Grand Estate wines, Roma selects only the choicest grapes. Then the priceless skill of Roma master vintners, necessary time, and America's finest winemaking resources guide this choice grape treasure to rich taste luxury. So remember, when you serve Grand Estate wines, you serve the finest. The crowning achievement of vintner skill. Well, that's a real tip, Ken. And so you can follow it, Judy. Here, with Roma's compliments, is your gift basket of Grand Estate wine. Well, thank you. And while I'm giving out thanks, let me give, give a great big portion with love and kisses to my great and good friend Bill Spear for his magical direction and to Raymond Lewis for playing the man so wonderfully. Well, thanks to you, Judy, and to Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Yearling, for their cooperation in making you available to us tonight. 
Next week, we'll have Chester Morris as star of Suspense. Oh, he's one of my favorite actors. I won't miss it. Good night. Tonight's Suspense play was written by Mel Donnelly and Muriel Roy Bolton. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Chester Morris as star of Suspense. Presented by the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. Ladies and gentlemen, in the coming weeks, Suspense will present such stars as Cary Grant, Olivia de Havilland, Alfred Hitchcock, Joseph Cotton, Roddy McDowell, and many others. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Suspense is broadcast from coast to coast and to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Suspense from November 21st, 1946, with Drive-In, starring Judy Garland, is heard on CBS. If you go to our Facebook page, we have a fun fact posted there about this show, and there's a wonderful picture of Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli. Yeah, holding her, holding like, her as a baby. Baby, yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's really sweet. It's great. How do they do that? Just search uh, WGN. Just go to WGN Radio Theater on yeah. our Facebook page. Make sure to like us, check out our fun fact, our schedule and of course our podcast is posted there every week all right thanks lisa it's time now for the great gildersleeve throckmorton p gildersleeve was a character that first originated on fibber mcgee and molly then spun off in 1941 to his own series called the great gildersleeve hal perry played throckmorton p gildersleeve on that show until 1950 then he left to do another show, and Willard Waterman came in. Willard Waterman played Gildersleeve on television as well as radio. All right, time now for an early episode of The Great Gildersleeve, January 25th, 1942. This is called The Matchmaker. It stars Hal Perry. Here is The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time, Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levinson. And now let's visit our friend, the Great Gildersleeve. More hot cocoa, Judge Hooker? No thanks, Bertie, I'm warm enough. My, but a nice fire feels good on a cold night, doesn't it, Gildersleeve? How should I know? You've been blocking the heat in front of this fire all evening. 
If you're not careful, you'll give yourself a high hot foot. <laughs> but, gee, Uncle Mort, don't you think the fire is good for Judge Hooker's ideas? Uh, I don't know what you mean, Leroy. Well, you said they were just half-baked. Yes. <laughs> I don't recall. Young man, isn't it time for you to be in bed? Yeah, but you promised I could stay up as long as we had company. Well, that's right. Only I never thought the company... Uh, uh, <laughs> excuse me, Judge. I guess my foot's fallen asleep. <laughs> oh, you needn't hint, Gildersleeve. I'm going... Only it's been so cozy here, and the conversation's been so interesting. Conversation? Sounded more like a monologue to me. Don't they let you talk down in your courtroom, Judge? Poor man, he's just lonely and blue, that's all. Who's lonely and blue? Why, just because I like the family atmosphere around here, in preference to sitting in that big, cold, empty house of mine, does that mean I'm lonely and blue? Yes. Otherwise, you wouldn't come and stand in front of our fire and get all friendly and pink. <laughs> well, maybe you're right You know what you need, Judge Hooker, some good woman No, no, I don't I've tried a dozen housekeepers, but they all quit Well, personally, I don't blame them, Judge You're as crusty as a carload of peanut brittle What do you mean, crusty? I'll have you know that I'm still considered one of Summerfield's most eligible bachelors Yeah, eligible for what? Social security? <laughs> <laughs> Leroy, aren't you in bed yet? Oh, another hint. Bertie, my coat and hat, please. Yeah. Now, Judge, don't leave just because Leroy's going to bed. How about a game of old maid, a rummy? No, thanks, Gildy. You play rummy like an old maid, and old maid like a rummy. <laughs> oh, a bad loser, eh? Here's your wraps, Judge, and I'll be sure and bundle up well. Thank you. My, my, I don't blame the government for clamping down on the weather report. Uh, why, Bertie? Well, the less said about this weather, the better. I guess you're right. Well, good night, folks. Yeah. Good night, you little legal loophole. Now, don't be too harsh on him, Mr. Gildersleeve. Huh? The poor man is only hungering for companionship. Yes, and our food. Why, when he looks at you in this nice house with your nice niece and nephew and eating all the nice meals I fixed, bring his here again. Yeah. You know, deep down, Bertie, I really like the little duffer. And when I spoke about him needing a good woman, I didn't mean a housekeeper. I meant a good wife. Well, then why don't you introduce him to some nice ladies that he might take two? It'd take two? That'd be big of me, Bertie. You really only allow one. <laughs> Sam, are you going to marry off the judge? Well, I don't want to count my chickens before they're hatched, but Leroy, I thought I told you to go to bed. You did, Uncle Mort, twice. Well, I'm not going to tell you again. Gee, that's swell, Uncle. It was getting sort of monotonous. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'm going right now. last, eh, Leroy? The only thing more difficult than getting you to bed at night is waking you in the morning. Ah, good morning, Unc. Say, remember what you said last night about finding somebody to marry Judge Hooker? Well, I, I didn't mean for you to hear that, young man. Well, it's lucky I did, because I've got somebody all lined up. Yep. What do you mean? Who? One of my teachers at school, Miss Cagle. Huh? Boy, the whole class has been trying to figure out a way to get rid of her ever since September. <laughs> If they have? Yeah, well, they'd be glad when I tell them the judge is going to marry her. If, whoa, here, here, wait a minute, Leroy. First, what sort of a lady is this Miss uh, Cagle? Well, to give you an idea, the kids elected her Miss Poison Puss of 1942. <laughs> Unanimous. If, why, she's so... Uh... But if she's anything at all like that, why nominate her for the title of Mrs. Hooker? Is that wrong? Well, after all, we're trying to make the judge's life brighter. Miss Cagle sounds like a drip of the first water. <laughs> Oh, gee, that's right. Uh, I was so anxious to get her off our hands, I didn't realize what a dirty trick it'd be on the judge. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll have to think of somebody else, I guess. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Gilsley, but how about looking here in the morning paper? The morning paper? For what? 
for the bride, maybe one of the persons in the personal will turn out to be the judge's dream girl. Well, thanks, Bertie. No harm in looking. Uh, let me see. Uh, uh, oh, yes, here we are. Uh, personals. Attractive young lady, uh, blonde, wishes to meet sympathetic gentleman of means. Object, Hollywood. No, I don't think I don't think that's the judge's style. Read the next one. That sounded better. Uh, yes. Uh, here it is. A well-to-do widow interested in meeting professional man over 50. Have refined tastes and grand piano. Also private income, own car, and seven delightful children who will add life to any home. Gee, oh. <laughs> for seven kids. Yes, wrong number. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bertie. I'm afraid our little Justice wouldn't have any peace if we snagged him a helpmate out of the help wanted. Well, Jeepers, look at the time. I gotta get over to Piggy Banks' house. Yeah? What for, Leroy? His Aunt Henrietta is knitting sweaters for the army, and I'm to bring her some wool Marjorie left for us. Well, run along by all means, Ed. So Henrietta Banks is in town. Say, Henrietta Banks. What's the matter with her? Nothing. She's perfect. Uh, for Judge Hooker, I mean. She has a nice social position. Her grandfather was the first white child born in this county, and and she's really not bad-looking. Gee, I didn't know you knew Piggy's aunt, Uncle Mort. Yes, I met her about ten years ago. I remembered I'd just ripped my trousers before she came over, and I didn't dare get up all the time she was here. <laughs> it really was very embarrassing. She sure sounds like the future Miss Judge Hooker. Yeah, well, I'm going to try anyway. Now, let me have that yarn, Leroy. I'll deliver it. While I'm there, I can sort of subtly get around to talking about the judge and matrimony and things like that. Oh, swell, I'll get your hat and coat on. Uh, but what about that appointment you had to get examined for insurance, Mr. Gilsleeve? Oh, yes, the insurance doctor's due here in half an hour. Uh, you tell him I was called away on business, Bertie. Have him come in a day or so. If I'm going to press the judge's suit, I better strike while the iron is hot. <laughs> hey, Uncle Mort. Uh, thank you, Leroy. You know, I'm getting quite a kick out of this idea. <laughs> Won't the judge be surprised when he finds out all I'm doing for him? Well, here I go. Good luck, Mr. Gilsleeve. Happy hunting, Uncle. Uh, yes, well, thanks. Goodbye. Uh, he's a pretty swell guy, isn't he, Bertie? He sure is. Going to all that trouble just to make two lonely people happy. That's right. Look at him walking down the street. A regular Dan Cupid. Yes, sir. Ain't he got the figure for it? <laughs> Yes. Well, well, little Henrietta Banks. Why, you haven't changed a day since I saw you ten years ago. I haven't? Oh, you're just being nice. Huh? Oh, now, now, don't tell me. I, I know who you are. Uh, you're Mr., um... Oh, Mr. Gilder something. Yeah, that's right, Gilder Sleeve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fancy you remembering me all this time. Well, won't you come in, Mr. Gilder Sleeve? Well, I don't mind if I do. My nephew, Leroy Forrester, was bringing over this yarn for you, and he happened to mention your name, and I said, uh, well, never mind, you'd be surprised what I said. <laughs> well, have a chair, won't you? Uh, thank you. My, I can't imagine how you could remember me. Uh? After all, we only met once before, and you seemed so shy then. Uh, shy? Oh, yes, I remember. That was just a temporary bashfulness on my part. I suppose I was just afraid of making the wrong uh, impression. Oh, as if you could have. As if I couldn't have. <laughs> uh, but tell me, Miss Banks. Oh, or rather, uh, Henrietta. That is, if you don't mind. Oh, no, no. Not at all. Go right ahead. Well, when Leroy told me that you were here, I was greatly surprised to hear that you were still uh, Miss Banks. You were? Yes. 
My, but I'll bet you put up a gallant fight against all the men who must have wanted to change your name. Uh, well, uh, some girls like a certain independence. Uh, well, I knew that would be the trouble. That attitude of yours is hardly fair to us uh, poor men, Henrietta. Oh, do you think so, Mr. Gildersleeve? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Why, marriage is the most delightful of partnerships, uh, I'm told. And reminds me, uh, there's someone right here in this town who'd be just wonderful for you. Oh, really now? I don't know what on earth you're talking about. Now, Henrietta, you do too. I do not. Then I'll tell you. Oh, don't. So embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> who is it? it... <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to mention any names. But this fellow, well, he, uh, he's been awfully lonesome. When I heard your name this morning, I, uh, I mean, when he heard your oh, name Oh, yes, morning, yes, yes, I understand. Well, uh, I, that is he, is, I mean, we... Oh, Mr. Gildersleeve, huh? you haven't changed a bit. You're just as bashful and boyish as you were the first time I met you. Well, well I wasn't quite prepared. Uh, possibly I'd better come back another time. Yes, I think I should go now. Uh, you'll be hearing from me uh, later. I will. Oh, goodbye, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, not goodbye. Au revoir, Henrietta. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, hello, uh, Martha? Oh, Martha, you're acquainted with everyone in Summerfield. Well, tell me all you know about this uh, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yeah, yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. No. Well, what do you... No. 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 Oh, no. Well, lucky me. That's the first half of The Great Gildersleeve from 1942. We'll have the second half along with a good Western adventure of frontier gentlemen in our next hour here on WGN. But first, this break. Hey, Lisa, I am loving my Vistro meals. They come right to my home, frozen. I put them in my freezer. And when I'm hungry, which is all the time, I just take one out, pop it in the microwave, and gobble it up. And you know what? These are plant-based, and so they're really healthy and delicious. Right, and they come fully prepared. So um, they are cooked from fresh, organic ingredients by the chefs over at Vistro, delivered frozen. No chopping, no cooking, no cleanup, just fresh, delicious food. Yep, I love it. What more could you want? Check it out. Go to vistro.com. That's V-E-E-S-T-R-O.com, and you can get 15% off your first order. All right. When we come back from news, we'll tune into the conclusion to The Great Gildersleeve plus Frontier Gentlemen. Stick around. 